0: Hello everyone, I'm Heather Ward, Senior Manager of Content Strategy at SCA, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our SCA lecture series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at SCA's Specialty Coffee Expo and World Coffee events. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode was recorded live at the 2018 Specialty Coffee Expo in Seattle. Visit coffeeexpo.org to learn more about this year's schedule of lectures and get your tickets. One of the special things about Specialty Coffee is the connection that coffee people make with one another. Beyond simply making deals, beyond simply hiring and firing, we are an industry of people who are drawn to share, learn, and grow with one another. Mentorship is one of the most powerful professional tools in that regard and something that sets the specialty apart from the commercial. It also, however, comes with great responsibility and sometimes even risks. Please join us in welcoming today's panel, led by moderator Evermeister, as they discuss how to create these relationships, how they can be mutually beneficial, and how to prevent them from doing more harm than good. Candice Madison of Irving Farm Coffee Roasters, Katie Cardullo of Counterculture Coffee, Lem Butler of Black and White Coffee Roasters, Nicholas Cho of Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters, and Monsi Choksi of the Specialty Coffee Association. Also, I'll be jumping in occasionally to help you follow along in the podcast. Okay. Well, welcome, everybody, to Mentorship in Specialty Coffee, um, Students
1: Become the Teachers, which is a panel of, um, featuring these fine folks over here um, who I will introduce in a moment and I will also just let them sort of speak about themselves. Uh, my name is Meister. I work at Cafe Imports. This panel was my idea, so you know who to blame. Um, but uh, mentorship is a topic that has, I think, coming up, been coming up a lot in the past few years, especially as people are trying to find new pathways in the industry and really looking to some of the folks who seem to have um, you know, attain some kind of goal or achieve some sort of benchmark, um, either in their career or just sort of in certain directions, or de- you know, act- achieving a certain degree of recognizability. Is that a word? It is now. Recognition. Um, yeah, recognition. Sure. Um, And so I just thought, you know, as I sort of think about uh, the ways that people coming up in the industry can sort of grow and develop and also the ways that we can sort of help each other uh, make a more dynamic professional community, this was something that sort of came up for me over and over and over again, sort of thinking about the idea of mentorship. Is it... um, you know, what, what are the uses of it, what are the benefits, what are the drawbacks, what are some of the dangers on both sides, what are the responsibilities of having this kind of relationship? And as I was thinking about mentorship, there were literally five people that came to mind. And they all just so happened to be sitting here, um, which is amazing. Uh, most of the people on this panel have actually been, you know, at some point in my life, a mentor to me, and I think probably some of them have been mentors to each other, and certainly there are other people who have been really impacted by each one. Um, So they're really special. You can see their names on the panel, uh, on the board, so you can tag them and follow them on all their social media. But um, (laughs) I want to introduce you to um, Lem Butler from Black and White Coffee Roasters in North Carolina. Candice Madison um, from Irving Farm Coffee Roasters in New York. <laughs> uh, Monty Choksi from the Specialty Coffee Association. We got Katie Carjulo from Counterculture Coffee. And Nick Cho from Wrecking Ball Coffee. Um, I'm going to ask each person on this panel just to sort of tell us really briefly about... I don't know why I'm talking to them. I'm going to ask each one of you to tell us really briefly uh, just about... you're know you sort of growing up in coffee and and just a very short sort of background, if you want. And I also want to say, although this first sort of question will be very much like one person after the other, I prefer a panel discussion that's more like an actual conversation. So um, if you guys have questions for each other, questions for the audience, or if anything comes up, I want this to just sort of be like we're five people who like each other and would just have a conversation. So just pretend that you like me, for a second, just for the next 45 minutes or so. Um, yeah, something like that. We'll start with you, Lem, because you're sitting right next to me, and you just took a mouthful of water. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right. Um, my name is Lem Butler. I work, well, I actually own um, uh, black and white coffee roasters in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, before that, I worked at Counterculture Coffee for 10 years in a couple of capacities, and before that, I worked in a cafe very small what you would call a mom-and-pop shop Um, and that was I began in 2003 mainly from ignorance and just needing a job and that was the first thing I saw and pursued and 15 years later I'm on a stage with some very impressive folks with awesome resumes and talking to you guys
3: yeah no i I'm the least impressive person on this panel. There's some awesome people up here who I'm proud to share the stage with. Um, my name is Candace. I've been in coffee for just under 10 years. Um, I am not American. Um, so I started in specialty coffee in London. Um, I worked as a yoga teacher, and because I was doing ashtanga yoga, first thing in the morning I had to get coffee. Just happened to be one of the only 16, at that point, specialty coffee cafes in the U.K., <clears throat> Um, and I realized after a while I was drinking more coffee and then asking for barista shifts and doing more of that than I was actually yoga teaching, so I'm no longer a yoga teacher, weirdly enough. Um, I moved through being a barista, got my Q license as um, in a grader, an Arabica grader, became a roaster. Um, I then, I've been a teacher for most of my life, so moving through barista and roaster into education and doing all the same at the same time is very natural for me. Um, I work as a Q instructor, Q grade instructor for Rabica Coffee. Um, I'm starting a whole new education program for Irving Farm Coffee Roasters um, and I get to hang out with awesome peeps.
4: Um, I'm Monsi. I'm actually not from the coffee industry but I joined the Specialty Coffee Association of America 10 years ago um, it'll be 10 years in May so I feel very official now staff. that I'm yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah sorry as a member Wait. not as a member yeah. I joined as staff so I still work there um, with SCA I'm the director of experience I previously was the director of membership I learned everything about specialty coffee from all of you, actually, because my job was to go around, meet all the members, help them all connect with each other, and that's pretty much how I've been progressing in my career at SCA as well. I still build communities. I work with the guild leadership, um, also with other smaller communities. If anyone was at RICO, I work with the fellows community. So this is um, a big part of my job, is building community and connecting people. Um, and even though I may have not come from a specialty coffee background, I feel very well connected with all of you just because of my daily job and what I get to do. So I feel very fortunate to be here and on this stage with extremely well-educated, qualified people, so thank you. Hi, Um,
5: I'm Katie Cardullo. I started in coffee in 2002. I was in college and I got a job at a coffee shop in Washington, D.C., coffee shop actually owned by this guy. And um, like most of us, coffee kind of put its hooks in me, and I became really interested in the industry. Um, One of the benefits of working at the coffee shop that I did was that Nick was really passionate about introducing us to the industry and sent us to barista competitions and to um, SCA events, even though we were just baristas at his shop, and so I saw... uh, a larger vision and that I could have a, a place in coffee as a career. Um, Ten years ago, I started working for counterculture coffee. I first worked for them in New York City for seven years. Meister and I worked together um, doing coffee education and customer support. Um, in 2012, I won the United States Barista Championship. <laughs> and then in 2015, I moved to California to continue working for counterculture, but in a quality Control uh, and coffee purchasing role at our roastery in Emeryville. That's my story.
6: Hi, my name is Nick Cho, Nicholas Cho. Uh, my wife Trish and I run uh, Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters in San Francisco. Been doing that for about five, six years. Um, before that, once upon a time, started a coffee shop in Washington, D.C. called Murky Coffee in 2002. Uh, Katie was, I think, either our fourth or fifth uh, hire. For a little little kind of tiny, tiny shop that we had at the time, um, and over the years f- from it started in' two my first SCA ex- uh, conference expo was two thousand and four um, and like a lot of you have experienced or hope to experience this weekend or hope that, uh, know that you will, uh, met a lot of interesting people who be- very much became my mentors in the industry and um, yeah, so this is a topic very near and dear to my heart for a number of different reasons. And I'm going to try to not cry from up here during the next hour.
1: <laughs> it's funny. I think all of us are actually probably feeling a little bit that way. I definitely am like, I may cry during this panel. <laughs> who knows? It's the first day so, of Expo. Can we make
6: it a contest who cries first?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and start the timer. Okay, great. This is So this is funny. This is actually one of those slides where it's literally a definition of the word mentor. And then the rest of the slides are just quotes from famous people saying stuff about mentors. It's almost like I didn't take IDP. Um, (laughs) um, Well, one of the interesting things... First of all, there's two definitions of the word mentor. Because I didn't realize that mentor was actually a character in the Odyssey. Which is, I guess, where that name... Where that word comes from. Learned something here today. But... um, so, you know, the, def- the dictionary definition of a mentor is a trusted counselor or guide. Basically someone who um, leads you through on a journey or pushes you um, as a person, either personally or professionally. I think a lot of people um, probably have teachers that they consider mentors to some extent. That relationship is very, uh, it's almost designed to sort of have that, that feeling, have that impact on people. Um, but I think that... Um, When you work in an industry and you are looking for mentors among some of the people who are your peers or some of the people who might be your bosses or your coworkers, mentorship might have a slightly different um, definition. I kind of wanted to also ask the folks on the panel if, if there was something in particular that the word mentor kind of meant to you. Like if someone were to say, you know, do you have a mentor? Have you ever been a mentor to someone? What does that relationship kind of looked like in your careers, especially having a, a really wide range of lengths of time in the industry and experience in the industry, you've probably encountered very different types of people who have been mentors. So I'd love to hear whoever, you know, might have an
0: idea about that. Speaking now is Moncy Choxi.
4: Um, I'll start. Um, so yes, I, I agree with you, Maester. Mentors are friends; they could be bosses. Um, I think the one word that stands out is they have a commitment to your success, um, and that's really what I think holds special and true to me for somebody who I would consider a mentor or somebody who I would who I would mentor. So um, it's that commitment and. It's, it's really in the progress for the other person.
0: Speaking now is Katie Carjulo. <laughs>
5: All right. Well, the word that comes to mind for me is guide. I like to think of a mentor as not somebody that tells you what to do or what you should do, but really helps you explore and find the right answer for yourself. Mm-hmm. Speaking now is Lem Butler. Um,
2: just to echo on both of those, uh, I always looked at mentors in three stages or three types, uh, the peer-to-peer kind of mentor the uh, career-developing uh, mentor and then that life-developing uh, uh, mentor. The, the peer can be someone who works with you. Uh, if you start a new job, sort of that onboarding person that's been assigned to uh, help and guide your orientation to the company or wherever uh, you, you may work. And then the uh, kind of career person where you talked about uh, your boss or the owner of the company um, uh, kind of guiding your career, not necessarily in the job that you are. They, they could be someone who works in another a company or whatever, but they're just kind of guiding your career and what you want to do. And then um, what I feel is uh, pretty important to me is that that, that life mentor. Uh, it could be someone you work with, but uh, for me, it's it's usually someone that's not even in the industry, but mm-hmm. it's more of like a a, a guide of, of like wellbeing, well being, uh, well kind of like uh, you know helping out with uh, your, your life goals.
0: Speaking now is Nick Cho.
6: Um, for me, mentor is a weird word that I don't think about. Except in settings where it's like, let's talk about mentors. Um, to me, and I've seen this, you know, in Meister, we were talking about, like, people emailing sometimes, like, will you be my mentor? And I think it's so interesting. It's, it, for me, it's a little bit like saying, like, can we be confidants? Like, yeah. that's something that's an attribute of a relationship that develops over time. Like, the way I see it, and I understand that's just my point of view, um, the 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 ones the relationships that I ca- uh, characterize as either me receiving mentorship or having mentors or being a mentor for other people, um, it's just something that happens through the course of a relationship, um, like almost any relationship. It's a special sort of thing, special circumstance, and it just kind of emerges through the ether of of things. Like, wow, this is actually a mentor kind of relationship. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. The the idea of uh, a peer-to-peer mentor is really interesting to me because I think that that's something that we don't often imagine when we imagine, you know, what a mentor relationship looks like. But also what Katie said, that idea of someone being committed to your success, like that being sort of a mutual commitment to lift each other up, to sort of push each other forward. I think that kind of relationship can really happen with anybody. It doesn't, you know, it could be... It could be a customer to a barista, to to be honest, like someone who goes out of their way to maybe tell your boss that you've done a really good job. You know, someone that you just make a really intense connection with to a certain extent. I think, you know, guides sort of show up in all forms. Maybe, mm-hmm. um, hey, that's a good segue to the next <laughs> to the next slide. This is a quote from Robert Frost, which is also interesting because Robert Frost was kind of a jerk. Um, <laughs> Uh, but he, he, you know, this quote, I'm not a teacher but an awakener. The, uh, I would love to know who the, like the awakeners in your, who your mentors were. I mean, I already said, like, you all are kind of my mentors in the industry one way or the other, you know, some folks I've, I have not actually worked with you. Um, but even just sort of watching from a distance, the way that you facilitate other people's growth, the way that you support other people, even if it's not necessarily someone who's working with you or under you, um, has been really impactful for me. I would love to know who maybe some of the people that come to mind for you are. Um, if you
0: feel like sharing that speaking now is Candace Madison.
3: I was always really scrappy um, i didn 't um, i 've always gone after what i 've wanted um, and so i didn 't really give people the chance to naturally become my mentor so much as just had such a thirst for knowledge in the coffee industry. it kind of became apparent who could deal with my constant questions and <laughs> constant inquiries and you know all hours of the day and night conversation um, and I guess my first mentor in coffee in terms of taking an interest in my career and and going out of his way to teach me would have been Tracy Allen, Hmm. who mentored me through my roasting um, and how to navigate certain um, unavoidable but not signposted pitfalls along the way. Um, and, um, although Tracy has faded from, um, being a mentor in my career, still a, you know, still a great person and a great guy, um, the ones that really stand out for me just organically are all women. Um, so I was really lucky. I find it's, it's funny because we talk about, um, gender issues in coffee um, but I have never personally I have been incredibly lucky to never have to want for finding female or women of color or people of color to look up to who really were committed and invested and people that come to mind are Ildi Revy mm-hmm. um, Trish Rothgab um, Nick's wife um, Ellie Hudson um, Phyllis Johnson from afar um, and then peers like Tamika um, Lawrence and Michelle Johnson um, and um, others. I've been incredibly lucky, and but it was quite funny because mentorship is organic for me. I realized that I have become mentors to people without realizing it, mm-hmm. and the sense of responsibility once I recognized the relationships that I was in, um, is huge. Um, and so I have even more respect for the people who have stuck by me um, and been made themselves available. And it is, it's that accessibility, availability, and that commitment and concern that really are the hallmarks for me of that relationship. So, wow. thanks, ladies.
1: How about you, Nick?
6: What's the question again? <laughs> who
5: are you?
1: Like, who's someone you would consider your mentor?
6: Um, I think Lem talked about like three like three categories that you think of when you think about mentors. I, I think of two different categories for me. Um and they're my been my coffee mentors and then they're my sort of life mentors. Mm-hmm. And um I actually had the I, on last Saturday uh a a young couple who I The husband, uh, Chris, I saw him grow up up since he was a baby, uh, came to visit San Francisco, and so we had dinner. And as we were talking, it just kind of, I'd kind of forgotten for a bit because I haven't seen him in a really long time, but his father uh, was the head pastor of my church that I grew up in. And um, Reverend Young Jin Jin Cho, who was from being a pastor, then, you know, he was United Methodist system, so like district superintendent, and then eventually became a bishop before he retired last year. And um, it just kind of like I was just overwhelmed by a feeling of just gratitude and just humility that I uh, hadn't really thought about it. And I knew this whole time, and if I, you asked, like, who are your mentors in life, I would have listed him. But it really made me reflect on his impact on the way that I think. He taught me how to think the way that I do. Um, he taught me to doubt and to question and to, um, to struggle and about how all those things that – Uh, we run away from are actually important parts of our human experience. Um, That, you know, love doesn't exist without pain and all that sort of stuff. And the ideas, like, the way that I think about stuff, where if everyone seems to be trending in a direction, then what are the things that are being overlooked right now? You know, that's... You know, people know me really well. Like, that defines the way that I approach pretty much everything. Um, But, uh, yeah, so... There's him and there are a couple other people that are like that from my formative years, but then, as I mentioned before, I come into 2004 Expo that uh, that was in Atlanta that year. Um, it was it's funny to talk about now, but I met Trish, who's now my wife. We were married to other people at the time. It's not scandalous, I promise. It's much more <laughs> much more banal and boring than uh, than than it might seem. Um, but her and I just came across people. Uh, was introduced to Peter Giuliano, who has become a really good friend and a, a big coffee mentor to me. Trish became, was a big coffee mentor to me. Um, she encouraged me in ways that no one really else had, like just hearing me out, like struggling with these ideas, and she would just listen on the phone and go like, Nick, you've learned so much in such a <laughs> short amount of time. And I'm like, "That felt really good to hear. Um, and then Rick Reinhardt and, and, and uh, a couple other people like that, for some reason, they would take my call. And I felt really, really fortunate in that way. Um, I started a podcast right around that time uh, called Porter Filter Podcast. Some of you have heard it. And the genesis of that was having these one-on-one conversations where I felt like I was being mentored by -hmm. these coffee people who knew so much more than I did. And it felt really selfish to keep it to myself. And so it just strikes me that to be able to kind of be a coffee mentor to people through a, like, a unilateral that's just like recording podcasts and putting it out there just dawned on me that that's actually a thing yeah that happened because people have come up since then over the years and just said like i've learned so much like my coffee 101 was listening to just all the Filter podcasts like back to back and uh yeah that's pretty neat
5: speaking now is katie carjulo Um, I was just going to say that I, too, think that my idea of what a mentor is has evolved over the years. Um, When I was first becoming very interested in specialty coffee being a viable career for me, I remember that I went to an SCA in Charlotte. And I had known about Peter Giuliano because Nick talked about him all the time and how great <laughs> he was. And I asked Peter at a party if he would be my mentor. I specifically you know, used that word like we're talking about. And um, he said yes. And there were a few times when we talked on the phone. I traveled down to... Durham, which is where Peter was working at the time, to spend a day with him, to learn more about like the ins and outs of what a day-to-day being a coffee buyer is. And as my career sort of progressed, I think that the meaningful relationships for me have been about peer-to-peer mentorship. I think I learned a lot from Peter, but Peter is sort of like a pillar of the industry who is a mentor for all of us. Like The things that I learned from him, I feel like we all have learned, like the power of storytelling and the importance of being generous with information and the importance of looking for answers as much in the past as looking to the future. Um, And as time went on, if I'm going to name people that were mentors to me, it would be people like you, Meister, like Tommy Gallagher, the people that I work with now, um, Tim Hill, Alina Bullock, who's now the sustainability manager for the SCA, but who I worked with also, um, people like Colleen Anunu who I can call yeah. a friend and I also can bounce ideas off of her and ask her, like, who should I contact about these things? You know, people that can put me into contact with people um, to make connections and build ideas. And those are sort of the more ways that I look for mentorship in my life now than I did when I was starting out. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to
1: think as well about the people who you can disagree with in a way that is um, not contentious, but helps you both to sort of grow and work out ideas. Like, I, I think that we often have this in this image of a mentor being someone that you just sort of like sit at their feet, you know, and just listen to them talk. Um, and I think that you learn so much from challenging people. And so maybe choosing someone who's like you know who feels unchallengeable or who doesn't seem like they would maybe be on the level with you sounds sort of strange. I don't know. Uh, does that sound like it would yeah, okay. Just not just yeah.
6: Okay. <laughs> How about you? Otherwise it's not a relationship,
4: right? Yeah, right? Speaking now is Monsi Choksi. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's important when your mentor is, um, or whoever you're looking to, your peer-to-peer mentor to be, um, you want to bounce ideas off of each other, and you want to make sure that, okay, I want to hear what the other perspective is. Um, And I definitely have that with Ellie. um, A lot lot of you know her. But we're total opposites, but we're peers, and we work together in a lot of different ways. Um, And that's one of the things that, I look forward to, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go talk to Ellie about this because I know she's going to challenge it in some way. And you want somebody in your life that is going to encourage you and help you figure out maybe where the, the blinders that you have, because yeah. we all have blinders and we all think certain ways and you need somebody that's going to always be on the other side of that. Um, and then, you know, just to mention, since we went around and mentioned uh, mentors, I had, you know, when when you sent around the questions, I had mentioned that I think Rick is one of my mentors as well. And I think Nick and a bunch of people already mentioned him, but, um, one of the things that's unique about that is he's removed, he's not my direct boss. And I found that important because when he was my boss, it was really more him guiding me on, okay, this is how you do your job, and this is what you need to do. This is who you need to know, or this is the history of this company, and really bringing me into the coffee industry and helping me understand. But as soon as we became more distant in our relationship as, a, as colleagues, um Then I was able to just kind of peek into what his vision was and him helping me develop my vision on where I wanted to go. And it was no longer like I reported to him. So I felt that was important. Um, And I know a lot of people look to their bosses as mentors, but sometimes it's important to have people that are not your bosses because they have a certain, you know, they also have that commitment as a boss. Um, So I think it's important to also look for people that are outside of that work environment.
1: How about you, Lem?
2: Uh, Very early on, uh, my first coffee mentor was Samantha Sheehy. She was the general manager of the Daily Grana Espresso Cafe. When I was hired, um, I mean, she was just a straight-up boss. She ran the bar like I've never, ever seen in my life, and still I haven't ever seen anyone run a bar like uh, she did. And um, she really taught me how not only to be a, a really good barista, But she taught me how to take care of um, guests in the cafe. And I thought that was very important. And that's where I learned how uh, coffee uh, really brought people together. Uh, And then from that same cafe, the owner, Jane Brown, was more of a career uh, mentor. She took it upon herself to, uh, once she saw that there was something in me that uh, would keep me in the industry, and I had no idea. I thought I would be a barista for maybe six months, a year. And, um, and she saw that I had something, and she took it upon herself to really, you know, nurture that and develop that. Um, she was responsible for me competing in the barista competition, and she was responsible for me uh, meeting folks at Counterculture Coffee. And we mentioned Peter Giuliano and uh, Kim Elena Bullock. Uh, I met them there, and they eventually became, you know, career mentors. But the one person at Counterculture – that's kind of resonated even to this day as a career mentor was uh, Cindy Chang, mm-hmm. currently Lubickson. Um She became my first coach in the brucey competition. And so that kind of uh, movement from the daily grind to counterculture was facilitated by you know, Jane Brown. And, uh, and then Jane, uh, Cindy kind of just picked up where Jane left off. And you know I started competing a lot more, and I started working. At Counterculture, uh, four years after working in a cafe, uh, so those were were, were my early uh, mentors. Those three, and then you know, as I started working at Counterculture, um, you know, meeting Peter, Peter Giuliano, um, Kim Elena Boic on a, my first Origin trip. Uh, the, these folks were very uh, instrumental in you know my development as a, a coffee professional, um, and then on on the outside of of, of coffee. Um, when I mentioned that that life mentor, I had had two, and uh, one unfortunately has passed away, but uh, another guy, he's he's uh, you know he's been with me for I mean I've known him for about like 20 years, and uh, both of these guys have been uh, really amazing at how they have centered themselves. One, um, Mark Shea, he he's he's a Buddhist, and the other guy is a is a Rasta. Um, And, I mean, he's Caucasian, and he's Rasta, but uh, that's another story. Uh, (laughs) um, But these guys are so, like, centered in who they are and so comfortable in their own skin. Uh, It's just amazing to have a conversation with those guys over the years. Uh, Mark Shea was actually responsible for me meeting my wife, um, who I've been married to for a while. Um, And and he was also responsible for uh, my approach to... um, being very calm when I'm, like, super, super nervous uh, through, like, meditation and uh, getting in touch with who you are uh, through meditation. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people say, you're so calm on stage uh, when you're competing. No, a lot of that to uh, Mark Shea, um, but I'm really not that calm. Uh, <laughs> God, i got to meet that guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so those those were my, my early mentors, and you know, my, my life mentor Darren uh, Lynch is uh, he's still he's still around. So, yeah.
6: I think it's worth mentioning. This is Nick Cho. That uh, no one's mentioned family members or parents at this moment. Yeah. 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 And I think that an important component of a mentor is that it's it's optional. It's an opt-in. Like it's someone chose this. It wasn't something like there was no obligation. Actually, and I think that's a really important component.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's funny when you mention, like, Katie, you describing going up to Peter and saying, will you be my mentor? And I've actually, in the past couple of months, gotten emails with the subject, mentor, that are like, will you be my mentor? And it freaks me out so much. It makes me, I, like, can't, because you feel like you can't say no, but you, you know, suddenly, this is a good segue, um, like, what's the point at which you feel comfortable becoming someone's mentor? Like... You know you I, I, for me it's also, it's almost like well i can sh- I can sure show you how I do things wrong. that's fine. if you want to follow me into making mistakes and being ignorant, like I can do that all day. <laughs> I've been doing that for my entire career, but it's like a it's a really weird moment when you go from being mentored to feeling like you that's within your capacity is there a you know was there a, p- a particular point at which you felt like Oh yeah, I could totally be a guide for someone else. Is it you know? Is it still something that you kind of struggle with that comfort level?
3: I still don't feel ready.
0: Yeah, this is Candice Madison. Awesome. Yeah,
1: that reassures like, me. Thank I was you.
3: Thinking, no, I mean when you mentioned parents, um, Nick, and I was thinking about this. I was not prepared for the fact that I have ha- recently become my parents' parents. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a really weird feeling, and anyone old enough. Um, and going through that just knows it's just a very strange flip-flop of a relationship where you – like, my parents were strict. Like, Caribbean parents don't play around, man. So I still don't eat in the street or drink soda in the street. And if I have a cigarette occasionally, shut up, shh. Um, I like hide it in the street because like if my parents, even to this day saw me doing any one of those things, um, please not the smoking, but if they even saw me do that today, I still am like, (gasps) you know, I look around if I'm near my home and like, you know, but now it's kind of like the other way around where I have to help them with you know, um sort of like early stage dementia has come in, health things have come in and you and you flip flop and it and you don't realise it's happening. Mm-hmm. And then when you do it's very unsettling and I realised that when um I was having more and more people come to me and ask advice or no one's ever really used the word mental but they've done everything but and I, it's just a really uncomfortable feeling because I'm like, but I don't know enough yet. I'm not there yet. I Don't look at me. Look at somebody else. But that happens organically just through the way that you move through your career. And it became such a thing that, um, I think the first time I ever noticed it, um, my first boss in what was not specialty coffee, um, a cafe on Portobello road, um, where we served coffee that had been in a bag for four years and was still dated to be fresh for the next three. Um, yeah, that kind of place. I remember, um, he naturally became my mentor when, you know, we were hanging out. He was also a Caucasian raster and we were hanging out in the what? cafe. I know, right? Uh, listening to a lot of reggae and he was like yelling at me across the cafe this is very off, obviously my first job in coffee 2008 He's like that milk is too hot and I was like oh, how do you know that <laughs> and he was like I can hear it and I was like I, I am a Buddhist so I was like oh my god divine what is going on you can hear the temperature of milk because <laughs> I didn't know anything <laughs> you know I, I didn't know that that was perfectly normal he could hear he's like it's screaming I was like oh, he has an emotional connection with the milk <laughs> Um uh, yeah. No, don't, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Um, and it's funny that, like, recently he got in touch with me. And it's like, oh, wow, you're a Q instructor. I, I've been oh, wanting wow. to become um, a Q grader, and I'm really hoping I can take my class with you. And I r- realize and r- um, remember that we'd moved certain ways apart, but I'd come to roasting before him, weirdly enough, so he'd uh, been asking me, Questions about roasting, then I had becoming like a sensory person, um, and so he would ask because um, I'm uh, a student of Nottingham University for sensory skills, um, sensory science, and he would um, ask me sensory questions, and he became a green buyer, and he was asking me cue grade questions, and I'm like, oh, this is flipped. Um, And that was actually one of the the experiences that felt really organic and really comfortable. Mm. Um, But it's when people approach you and I realize that I have a lot of deference and a lot of gratitude towards and the generosity of my own mentors because they must have been having the exact same thoughts. (laughs) And these are women and um, men and people I consider luminaries, people I consider like, you know, gospel when it comes to coffee. And it's weird to think of them putting their socks on in the morning going like... Why is Candace answering asking me these questions? I don't know anything. So um, it's daunting. Um, I don't think it'll ever not be daunting. I'll never feel like I know enough to, to pass that on to other people, but I've kind of made it my life's work. Um, and through the work that I'm doing at Irving Farm, it's um, it's will always be through education because I was given and gifted so many opportunities that I almost feel like I had no right to be given by people who were guiding me and helping me and, and cajoling me and you know giving me those connections and networks that Katie was talking about and suggesting that I do something things I would never put myself forward for. has just mentioned something that I'm, you know, thinking about. (laughs) Um, And it's it's sort of like, um, wow, I need to be able to give this back to you. Because you know what? I never had a work mentor. I never did. I had a peer-to-peer mentor at work um, in terms of my boss and I were peers. We were learning to roast almost at the same time. Um, For my second roasting job, I was learning on a new roaster. He was learning entirely. But I never had, like, that boss mentor – and so, and I felt really um, awful about it until I realized how many people took over that one role and how lucky I was. So that just feels natural to me that I will always give back what I can to make sure that people can have all the opportunities that I did.
6: Meister, did those people who emailed you, did, they know, did, you, did you know them?
0: Or? Yes. This is Nick Cho.
6: The people that you knew? Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. It's like, just out of the blue, will you be my mentor? It's like, will you marry me? Like, someone you don't know.
1: <laughs> At first, I thought it was just a misspelling of my name. <laughs> I do get called a lot of different things.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I, I do also want to highlight, you know, Candice mentioned, like, that you didn't have a certain kind of mentor. Um, there's two, I guess, perspectives that have already shown up here, which one is which, like... Find your mentors in your life. Your bus driver might actually be a mentor for you. And the flip side, which is, it, call a spade a spade. Like it's if you don't have a mentor, like don't pretend that you. Do. You yeah. know what I mean? It's it's sort of a, a understanding understanding that um, it's interesting. I it, it's a little bit weird to talk about, but um, I don't have that doubt. Feeling when it comes to, um, and maybe that's why. I mean, we, again, Meister, we talked about this. There, uh, my most proud legacy in the coffee industry is all the people who have, um, have have I had the pleasure of working with, who continue to, of course, the people who don't work in coffee too. But um, it's just a very visible uh, reminder of uh, of that. All the people who work in the coffee industry who are doing amazing things today. Katie being. You know, maybe the most important to me, you know, who who have worked with me over the years and uh, gone on to some amazing stuff. Um, for me, it was just part of an extension of the relationship that I want to have with people. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that Trish became my mentor. Like, one of the things that she and I have in common that really drew us to each other was that when we meet people, we just have this way of, like, really wanting to connect in a deeper way and not waste time, um, you know line up single file, don't no, no, all no, come at once, you know, kind of thing. but, um, but that, uh, it is a, I don't know if it's, it's just a skill. It certainly feels like a strength. gift. Um, I think for me, it does feel like, you know, I'm not a religious person today. I mentioned a pastor before. I'm not religious now, but it does very much feel like a calling. Like it's just a thing I'm supposed to do. And so I've, in my life, I feel like I have to do it and do it gratefully and and, uh, the best I can.
4: Yeah, authentically.
0: This is Monsi Choksi. Yeah,
4: Yeah, I I can follow that. I I definitely agree. I don't feel freaked out by somebody saying that, although somebody hasn't said, like, hey, would you do this? But I think people ask you, like, hey, will you connect me me to this person? You know this person. I saw you talking to this person. Um, One of the things that um, I didn't get a chance to mention before, but I will mention now is... um, I work and volunteer with the IWCA, the Women's Coffee Alliance, and um, that's a group that focuses on supporting and advancing women in producer countries. And I didn't realize, like... For them, how much they look up to the people that are on the global board, and um, for me, it was just I was actually learning from them by going to all of their events and learning what they you know whatever they needed if they needed a partner connection or whatnot. But they actually really look up to the global board as their um, you know their leaders, and they want more connections and they want to learn. And sometimes it's as simple as like I helped a lady. Um, just organize her PowerPoint presentation. We talk about these things, and so simple. But at the same time, it was something that she found very helpful because then she can take that and sell her coffee with it. Um, And so you don't, I, I don't know, for me, it's like, it's just an act of caring. It's something that I would normally do anyways. It's something that if someone asked me, like, in the hallway whether or not I had my SCA badge, if they asked me, like, hey, you know this person or do you know where I should go? You would help them, right? And we talk about this from a simple perspective of you're guiding somebody. Well, if you take a little bit more authentic you know feeling to that and say, okay, I'm gonna help this person check on them, you know, after a month, like, hey, how did your presentation go? How did that PowerPoint yeah. work out for you? What 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 happened with that? You know? It just takes that. And that's why I think that sometimes we put a lot of onus on the mentee to really be the the person that has to drive the relationship with the mentor and while I agree with that because you have to be driven as well to get what you need out of what you're looking for sometimes and I I think this is one of One of the things that I struggle with, I don't always realize that what my weaknesses are. Um, And it takes somebody to kind of come out and say, hey, I recognize this as a strength. Let me help you. You're really good at that. It takes somebody saying that for you to feel motivated, like, "Okay, yeah, I want to do this again. I want to feel like I want to move forward in that. And if somebody doesn't recognize you in that way, then you feel a little bit like, okay, um, maybe I wasn't so good at that, right? Like maybe I didn't do such a great job at that lecture. I'm not going to do that again. So I think it's just one of those natural things that it's just about caring and helping and really looking at people from not the perspective of what am I going to get from it, but what are they going to get from this interaction that I'm having? And if you do that, whether or not you call it a mentorship or not, I think it's it's the start to something like that.
6: Uh, I don't. Wanna, I feel like I'm talking too much, but um, what Monty, what you're saying reminds me or makes me yeah think about it a little bit is um, ev- me as a mentor and the people I know who have been mentors in my life. They've all been called arrogant and full of themselves and know it alls. Like we all have, and. Um, I don't want to say it takes courage, but, like, that's the price. But that also means that, you know, for, for our audience and for maybe as far as being able to give advice to you all who are thinking about, like, how can I be a mentor, be a better mentor, um, that there's a lot of, and, you know, we're at SEA Expo for a lot of us who own businesses, kind of taking that leap of faith. Like, oh, my goodness, I'm getting off of the sort of working for other people thing and becoming my own business owner. Like, it feels like a big leap of faith and, and a lot of risk, and it's really scary. Um, similarly, there's a lot of other sort of societal kind of um, rat races that we get caught up in, and to break out of it feels, like, really scary. And one of those is, is um, I think I can say, like, it, one of those is mentorship. The idea of being a mentor is kind of like being an entrepreneur, you're basically saying that the, the normal sort of relationship is not good enough for me. I need something that's more than that. I actually am willing to put myself out there and take the risk. And if I give somebody advice and they're like, who the hell are you to say that? Like, that's actually the risk. And that's real. And, th- and so to some degree, it's fighting through that. To some degree, it's, it's trying and failing and trying a different way and learning from those, those mistakes but um, as we're talking, it just dawns on me that, that, you know, it's one of those things like, well, you know, how, how do I become a mentor? It's like you have to break – it's not just about say nicer things or say more supportive things or even not even spend more time with people. It's actually breaking out of that sort of like societal rat race thing, like how we normally interact and be willing to connect on a deeper level that, that opens yourself – that uh, makes you vulnerable. And that is asking the other person, the mentee, to be vulnerable, too, with you, together. And that's the only way that that connection happens. Otherwise, it's just the bus driver who says cute things sometimes.
1: <laughs> that's actually really interesting. Thanks for pointing out the next slide. Um, I think. Um, one of the really interesting things that I think about, and this speaks to my, apparently I'm the only one who's nervous about being somebody's mentor. So I'm such an introvert. INFJ. Um,
6: no, you should be. (laughs) Okay. It's like the Jedi thing. It's like Yoda. You
2: should be, (laughs) you should be scared.
1: But the idea uh, for me personally, I think that the people who have been my greatest mentors have been the ones who have allowed me to fail and, and sort of encouraged me to continue and have sort of seen whatever potential I may have had, even though I just screwed up at something. And I also think that that goes in the other direction too. I think that, that it's easy to have this idea of a mentor as being, um, perfect as having to be an authority as having to be the person that has all the answers that is the perfect guide. And I think that there's a, you know, Nick is talking about this risk and this vulnerability that both people have in that relationship. And, you know, there have been times certainly when my professional mentors have disappointed me in some way, or have, you know, we've butted up against one another and our relationship has changed, or, you know, the nature of my job has changed and our relationship has changed. And I think that that's a really interesting component of this, too, is to remember that we're we're all just people who work in an industry together. Like, you know, there's no one in here that has all of the answers and is going to do everything right all the time. And so I kind of wonder what that relationship has been for you all, like either in terms of your own offering mentorship um, or being mentored by someone who you recognized at some point was just human. You know, how does, that, how does that affect your relationship? Is that when it changes into more of a friendship? Or, you know, what, what has been your experience in that sense? I want you to start, Lim. <laughs> Is that okay?
2: Why, thank you. <laughs> um... Yes, that's an interesting question. So um, I've had several um, occasions where I I felt like my professional mentors or peer-to-peer mentors have um, let me down, Mm -hmm. um, for lack of a better description. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has changed the relationship, but it also has, because of how um, other people in my life have uh, approached life. They'll they'll say, "Well, that's just you know that door may be closed, but something else is another opportunity has arisen." And how, how um, did they let you down, like, Without you don't have to get into detail, but well, I mean, I, so I mean, I've, I felt like my career was going a certain direction, mm-hmm. and um, when when I mean, here's an, I'll have to give an example. I, there's just no way around it. Um, uh, I mean, I worked for a company for ten years, and I love this company to, the, to this day. Uh, that company has been very instrumental in uh, my development as a coffee professional. Um, on a whole, that company is amazing. there are certain individuals in the company that I, I disagree with uh, how, how they 've done things, and uh, I felt like in two thousand and sixteen when i uh, i didn 't really want to compete again until I was inspired by um, Sasha Sestic and some other people in, in the competition circuit. And so I wanted to compete again. And someone who I felt was uh, really in my corner in, in my own career development um, told me that it wasn't, uh, wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to compete for that company. And uh, I, I, I thought that was very disappointing. And that's why, I mean, I don't know if anyone knows I competed under a different company yeah. in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the reason that happened. Uh, this is also the same person that I felt uh, when I applied for. When them. you won? Yeah. yeah, so I won. Yeah. 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 Shame. Yeah. Let's
6: not leave that part out. All right. All
2: right. Yeah, I so they, they they didn't want me to compete. the- I competed for a different company. I won, and then th- that same person said, Now we have to give you 110% support. Uh, but anyway, whatever. Uh, and this is the same person that I applied for another position, and their office was next door to mine, and they interviewed me over the phone. And I thought that was very disrespectful. Um, and and so, it, and I could have let that really bum me out, but I talked to, you know, my life mentor, Darren, Darren Lynch. And, um, you know, he explained to me that when he started in his industry, he, he, um, he has a plastics recycling company. And in 94, he was working for a company that was fairly large. And, you know, they took, you know... Uh, great care in developing his, his uh, career and he felt like they had his back. And when he was uh, uh, passed over for partnership, it really hurt him really bad. But he, he looked at it as another opportunity to start his own business. And now he has a company that's been running for uh, over 20 years and uh, he's doing really well. Um, so he, he pointed that out to me and uh, then I started, the wheel started turning uh, at that moment, uh, that maybe I need to go and do my own thing, um, and then uh, fast forward to after 2016, another position in that company opened up, and I felt like um, my peer mentor in the company um, was uh, really like pushing me in the direction to work in his department. And when I applied for that that position, you know, after being on three continents and 25 different uh, coffee farms. Winning the U.S. Barista Championship, doing really well in the world. I felt that my resume was, uh, was, was sufficient for this position. And instead of giving me uh, a, a reason like, well, we found someone more qualified for this position, his answer uh, to me not getting the position was, I think you'll be bored. And I felt like that was more of a... Uh, not necessarily a racist, a direct racist uh, answer, but more of an institutionalized uh, racist answer to you're not qualified because yeah. – y- it's not because you're not qualified. It's because you'll be bored with the position. Well, it's because, and,
6: because I don't see you yes. in that spot. Like, yeah, right. I, mean, I can't – Im- yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. So. It was at that exact moment that um, I just went back to what Darren was telling me about uh, his company that he worked for and what he did. And that was my time where I needed to exit um, a company. that I still, don't get me wrong, I love the philosophy of this company, uh, and I always will. And uh, and I am in debt to uh, Brett Smith for, I mean, he, he was backstage with me right before I went out. Uh, to the announcement uh, of uh, winning, and you know, I was expecting to get sixth place, and he was just back there hanging out with me and, and the other competitors. And uh, and at that moment, I remembered when I first started working for Counterculture in 2007. I was in a car with Brett Smith driving down to uh, Coffee Fest in Atlanta, and uh, I was like, "Man, I'm in, in a car with the owner of this company. I've uh, got like." Uh, a roaster in the car with me, uh, one of the marketing managers in the car with me. I'm like, man, I, I hope I live up to the expectations of, like... And I was just hired for, you know, production, and I was, like, so stressed out that I was going <laughs> to let these guys down in Atlanta. Um, and, yeah, it was just really amazing that, you know, this guy was backstage with me, uh, just kind of just shooting the crap shit, whatever you want to <laughs> say. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean... Don't get me wrong. I love that company, and forever will be indebted to uh, what that company is about and what they've done for me. Uh, but th- those are the two moments, and those two people in that company really um, changed how I looked at them and uh, uh, as 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 mentors.
5: Speaking next is Katie Cardullo. It's funny. I had a. I sort of had a similar experience. Um, one time when I was applying for a job, at this time I had worked for Nick and I was applying for like an entry-level position. And the person that was interviewing me was sort of trying to dissuade me from taking the job. And the reason was, he said, you know, at your current job, you get to travel a lot to industry events, compete in barista competitions, and at this job we won't necessarily invest in you in that way. Like there won't be a guarantee that you'll be able to compete. Um, and so when I was thinking back on this experience, I don't want to say that like my mentor failed me. That's not what happened. I think one of the things that I received out of my relationship from Nick, um, and how I approach how I mentor people now is the importance of, Really, truly supporting people and really, truly trying to understand their point of view if you're going to help them. And I think that had I been talking to Nick about a position, he would have understood what I wanted out of that and would have given me the benefit of the doubt. But this person was looking at me as sort of a protege of Nick and not really being able to distinguish like the person that I was and what I wanted. So I had to make it really clear, like, I, it's okay to me that it's an entry-level position. I understand what I'm signing up for, and that is, you know, what I'm going for. And having that communication solved that problem, but, you know... It's, it, is, it was disappointing and it was hurtful to hear that that person thought that I couldn't handle that, that I wouldn't be interested in the work because it wasn't the same thing that I was doing yeah. at the time, which is like when you're applying for a new job, who wants their job to be exactly the same as the one <laughs> that they currently have? Um, so I think about that a little bit in myself growing into a mentor role is that I don't want – the people that I am helping just to be associated with me and the things that I do. I want them to have their own voice and path and communication and, and really be able to wield their way into whatever they want in the industry. Speaking now is Nick Cho.
6: Both those stories really make me sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, what I'm taking away from that is the idea that... Um, one way that mentors fail is they reveal themselves to not be good mentors. You know, yeah. it's not just like, oh, they're just human. Actually, sometimes, you know, different people are good at different things and to different degrees. Um, and, and both those, and I thanks both of you so much for sharing. Both of those really make me think about how being a mentor for someone is not, it, it's important to sort of know who they are. But a, a big part of the journey that you're on with that person together is showing them their potential, um, very often where they might not know themselves. Or what's really special is when they think maybe they have potential for something, they're not really sure, and you're able to come and go, are you kidding? You're, you would be amazing at that. And that type of uh, support... Um, it's just like a, you know, nitrous oxide sort of thrust into the engine for that person and just watching people grow, you know, we all kind of need that, you know, it's a big thing for me just seeing people much more for their potential than, f- especially for their resume and experience, but even for who, who they are and what they're doing right now.
0: Speaking now is Candice Madison.
3: Yeah, I think it's, um, Thanks. I think that um, it's not just being... Um, accepting that your mentor can fail, but also accepting that failure is a mentor. Um, Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people see it, um, for face value, what it is. I remember um, I was running around doing a lot of stuff um, for a couple of years, and people were like, wow, you have this amazing life, and you're doing all these things, and... And I was like, yeah, because every time I apply for a job, they tell me I'm too overqualified, and so I don't have a salary job. It looks (laughs) awesome that I can, you know, make a lot of money being a consultant, and I can, because luckily, um, I was saying that I... put myself through all of my education, took a whole bunch of trips, um, made a five-year plan. I did this all myself because I didn't have a mentor. I used the nest egg that I had to buy a house on all my coffee travels and all of my um, education. I don't want anyone else to have to do that if I'm around um, because I'll, I'll point you in the right direction because that wasn't there for me until I found the right people to speak to. But... Um, I felt like a failure for a really long time because of the exact same reason that um, Lem was given his like, kind of excuse. You'd be bored. You're too overqualified. We can't afford you. These were things that said to me um, and they were ostensibly um, congratulatory, but they weren't. There, it was a huge sense of failure and I know a lot of the reasons why some of those people were saying things. And I think the what cannot be... Um, go unmentioned and what is not um, escapable from the makeup of this panel is one of the reasons that people consider us mentors is because they don't see people like us a lot of the time in the positions that we're in with the experiences that we have. So um, recognizing that um, you're a mentor to a vast swath of people not just who look like you, who don't look like you, but who are just grateful to have somebody who looks like you in a position that you're in, that's also um, another layer of responsibility um, that I feel as a woman of color, um, and especially as a black woman um, in a consuming country. um, And I feel like I cannot not live up to that. So for me, it's not an option. Um, I have to offer as much guidance and help as I can because I have a responsibility to pull up the ladder of the people who are below me. So, you yeah, know, embrace that failure.
0: Speaking now is Monsi
4: Choksi. There's something else that I think I, I would want to add to this is that um, the failure as a mentor, like if, especially in a work relationship, sometimes it could be that you don't recognize that you're holding somebody back. And I think that's, yeah. what, that's what I'm recognizing in some of these stories. And I've had a lot of people, especially when I was in the membership department, um, We have membership assistance, And, you know, that that position, it's it's very useful. It's very helpful. But it's not a lifelong position, okay? We have to be real with that. And sometimes when you're in a position where you're supervising people, you have to understand that you can't just hold on to these people forever just because they're great. And if you're... um, access to that person is so critical. You developing that relationship with them so you can hold on to that outside of your position is so much greater and more valuable to you. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that... I've learned at least, I mean, yes, there's turnover in that position at SCA, but that's because that's a that's a normal growth thing. Like you learn about things, you you understand how this works, you get to work in the membership, but then you're supposed to grow out of that. And if your boss doesn't really recognize that or is not able to say, okay, I think we it's time, like you're getting to these skills, let's help you find another place. Um, to me, it was always valuable to know that that person was going to stay within our organization um, and help them find a home that meets their passion but if a if a mentor really fails at that then they're going to lose that person and i think that's what we saw in a couple of examples here wow
1: thank you wow good grief I'm having so many feelings up here behind this microphone right now. So many feelings that I actually haven't paid any attention to how long we've gone. And I, if I don't stop us, I won't actually care. I would just keep asking questions because I just want to keep having this conversation. Um, but I will, I've will i got one more quote slide. <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to sort of wrap up by, I don't know, having some kind of closing thoughts about approaching that mentorship relationship and, and um, I don't know, just kind of reflecting. Maybe if anyone has any questions, we could do that. I don't really have a conclusion for this because I didn't expect to feel kind of as verklempt as I do. <laughs> so um, I guess what I would really kind of want to finish up by saying is that I think every single person has the potential to be in that kind of a relationship. In, and I don't think that it has to be one or the other. I think that it's a the kind of relationship that you can have with many different people in many different capacities. And and that, you know, the the more we sort of single each other out and and look for one person to fill all of those needs that we have, the more limiting it, it can be. And I think what we've heard from these uh, panelists is sort of like... A mentor can be anywhere, anyone, and you could be that person to someone that you, you, know, you don't even recognize. And I think that there's a lot of value in that and a lot of responsibility, too. Um, and if there's anything else that you think, would you want to share with the audience, with these fine people, before we send you out to get as many smoothie samples as can <laughs> possibly fit into your body?
6: Maybe we should, should do some questions.
0: Yeah? Okay. Yeah. A member of the audience is asking when the panelists felt the right time was to push their careers further, to move from mentee to mentor.
5: Um I I felt pretty thrust into it after I won, won the Brewster competition. <laughs> Speaking now is Katie Cardullo. All of a sudden I just feel like the transition is when people start asking you questions and you know I think it's important to say you don't know when you don't know something, mm-hmm. but I also think if someone is coming to you for advice, it's important to listen and, and really try and, and help them through a problem. So um, I have always felt like having confidence and experience in an area is a precursor to be able to mentor people. I don't think it is, but that's like a feeling that I have. And definitely when I moved into a different department... Um, And I realized that people in the old department that I worked in would come to me a lot with questions. Like, how would you handle this type of situation with an account? Um, I realized that I was a mentor to those people um, because I had had that job for such a long time and really could be seen as a resource for them. And another thing, you know, that I sort of realized just in my, my work life mainly is watching the things that I'm saying or or writing about um, and hearing the people training other coffee professionals repeat those phrases or those takeaways (laughs) about what matters about coffee, that was a really cool or has been a really cool experience and a realization for me that, wow, people listen uh, and they read the things that I will write and... um, and so th- being more thoughtful about that and how I'm guiding people to think about coffee um, has become more and more of what I think about in my day-to-day.
0: Speaking now is Lem Butler.
2: Yeah, I'd like to echo that, too. So like after winning uh, in 2016, it just sort of happened that people were just getting in contact with me. But um, it, was, it was a matter of, like, outgrowing. Uh, I outgrew the daily grind. I needed something else, so I ended up at counterculture, and I got to that point where I was outgrowing. Um, what I could learn more at counterculture, and I needed to do something else. Um, but after winning 2016, um, I would get crazy emails from people, Instagram messages of like people asking me questions about uh, how can they be better uh, uh, competitors. Uh, Martin Shabaya from Kenya, I met him um, in 2016, and he continued to keep in contact with me. Uh, not that I had anything to do with his presentation in 2017 in Seoul, but he was the first uh, African country to make it into the semifinals and worlds. And, I mean, it made me cry because I've been in touch with this guy for, for a year and a half. Um, so it was just like all of a sudden um, people were looking at me as the mentor, um, and I was no longer the mentee, but I still am a mentee. Yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of bizarre.
0: Speaking now is Candice Madison.
3: Yeah, I would um, I would echo that and say that um, I definitely am always going to be a mentee as well as a mentor. And for me, it came about way too early for me in coffee, and I was way too cocky about it um, early on. Um, I When I started in coffee, after five months I competed, it was a disaster. Um, but it was an epic disaster that people spoke about and had a lot of respect for, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but then I started judging within, like, nine months because I realized, unlike the actress and the classical musician that I was, making coffee on stage wasn't for me. However, giving feedback was definitely something I could do um, and really enjoyed doing. And so I started judging and then kind of like... Like, 18 months into my coffee career, I was a WCE judge going to, like, the latte art, like, judging finals in latte art in Seoul. I know. Wow. You know, right? (laughs) But, like, so these things I just thought were, like, fun things to do. And I, you know, didn't realize the respect they garnered in the industry. And so from a very early age in the industry, I was being asked questions and being looked on with the respect that I felt – a little cocky about for the first year and then distinctly uncomfortable with because I was like, whoa, wait a second, like, this was all a big mistake. I just took a couple of chances and they won. But then I realized that even taking that chance – Um, is a big deal and people want to hear about that and having these experiences are valuable because you can give some form of advice but I think that as a mentor you need to respect where you are and what you can talk about and what you can speak of and the more authentic that you are the more uh, valuable your mentorship is so I think that recognizing your limitations as a mentor is really important don't speak about things that you don't know about that's fine like they tell you the first thing they tell you when you become a Q instructor is saying I don't know is absolutely fine but I can find out for you that's the second part and that's the mentoring part
1: yeah, yeah one more question I think yeah I saw you first
0: um, a member of the audience is asking how important mentorship is to people who don't fit traditional cisgender or racial profiles in the coffee championships
2: very crucial um,
0: speaking now is Lem Butler
2: I'm the only black man who has won the United States Bruce competition I think I'm the only black man that's ever won a first. coffee competition. The first. The first? The
3: yeah. first of many. Uh, the
2: come. first of many to come? Yeah. Okay. You guys are very optimistic. <laughs> um I mean, as I look in this room, I don't see any black men. One was here earlier. He oh, there he is. Uh, there's, no, one. It, <laughs> there's one. It's,
3: it's your African-American? We're here.
2: <laughs> um, so it's, it's very important. Um, when I, before I even won the U S, um, I, I, I ran into a guy in uh, Long Beach and he just ran up to me. He was like, Hey man, I just want to thank you. You are an inspiration. Um, and I was like, dude, I haven't, I've only made it as far as semifinals, like five times. Come on. And he was like, no, dude, like there's no one else out there who looks like me who competes. And that's an inspiration. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about quitting. He's like, dude, don't quit. Mm -hmm. Keep doing it. And because he told me that, in addition to, you know, a couple other people, I competed again and again, and finally I won. Um, Greg Lefcourt, he's a judge in um, the the coffee competition, the brisa competition. And he tells me over and over again every year when I run into him that if he did not see me compete in Charlotte at the Nationals, he would not be in coffee. Um, and now he's a judge in the United States Barista Competition, um, and, and he's competed before. Um, and that is just awesome. Uh, there are other stories out there that I don't even know exist. So um, I think it's very crucial for us to continue what we're doing.
0: Speaking now is Candice Madison.
3: And it's not just the competitors. Um, so I'm coaching a couple of people from my company as judges, and they're judging here. One of them will be judging finals, um, which is a huge deal for me. Because remember, it's not just the, com- the competitors you want to see. It's people in every facet. Yes. And people forget that about competition. It's like government. There's a whole bunch of white men that make decisions about my body. If there was one black person in there, black woman in there making decisions about my body, maybe I'd have a little bit more respect for the decisions that come out. It's the same with competition. You can compete as a person of color, all you want. But if everyone judging you mm-hmm. doesn't look like you, well, that's some bullshit right there. So, you know, as Be- Beyonce said, a Coachella ain't that a bitch, right? The first freaking black headliner, you know, black woman headliner. And so for me, it's incredibly important to see that reputation ripple all the way through competition. And not just judges, but people on WCE, on boards, people, decision makers have to represent the people that they want to see, And, you know, it's true. If I'm going to go to competition and be judged by a whole bunch of people that don't look like me, maybe I don't go to competition. Because maybe I'm thinking that implicit bias is, you know, is going to suck. So, yeah, I think it's incredibly important. And my mentoring these girls coming here, women, sorry, coming here this weekend was a big deal for me. And the fact that they reached out and they're in my company and I can give all that support to them, that's, yeah, that's invaluable. This is Nick Cho
6: i mean it 's a quick you asked you asked a question about diversity and inclusion, but in the context of mentorship and um I would say that if we 're talking about competition then as it, i think it 's kind of obvious, but it extends way beyond the competition you know this is the kind of thing that goes from the top down and then from the bottom up at the same time, and you know we talk about institutional issues and systemic issues, but you know it's there's also but there 's what 's happening, the reality of situations, and that statistically we don't have certain people who look and express a certain way um, in certain numbers. And like like you know, keeping it real, real talk. Like it might just be that of the three such and such identified people, you know, with a certain type of identity, that they're never going to be that good at the priest competition. There's some people who are just never going to win, we're never going to do that well. That's just real you know, reality. It's like the answer is not, obviously, well, we got to get more of exactly that kind of person. You just need more of every, mm-hmm. every type of person in, in every, every facet. And one of the things that I continue to be aware of through my work and the sort of my, like, field of, of proximity that of the people in my life who I come across who I start becoming a mentor to and have that sort of relationship, that um, I have to be more intentional and actually say no to some people so I can say yes to others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and um, that's something that's hard. You know, we, I think we, it's hard to say no has been set up here a few times. Um, but, but that's the sort of stuff. That's the sort of stuff that gets you in trouble. And someone says, well, that asshole said no to me. And you have to sort of believe in yourself and understand the sort of greater purposes that you've chosen yourself and, and picked yourself to do. And um, yeah, like Trish and I we actually say, we get all these emails all the time asking different things, and we kind of, you know, to be honest, we kind of laugh about it and go, no, man, no, like, this doesn't happen over email from Colorado, from somewhere across the country. Like, we're busy. Not busy, like, you know, watching TV or whatever. We're busy, like, being mentors for the people that that really need us and that we've connected with right now. And um, more and more, like, putting that effort in and making the hard the hard work to um, seek those people out and make those connections in an intentional way in terms of the way that uh, what you want to see.
1: This was awesome. I I love listening to you all talk about, really openly about your experiences on both sides of this relationship. Obviously, standing up here talking to my mentors has been really meaningful. Um, and I, I just kind of want to say, you know, to all of us in this room, I think, I personally feel this way every expo weekend when I look around at all of these people that are just so inspiring and you see people across the room and you go, Oh, I know that person. I recognize that person. You get so excited just to be in the same room with them. And I think that this is the opportunity that we all have to make those connections, right? Like if you see someone that you like what they do, you appreciate what they do and you think that they are, um, an inspiration to you in some way. Or if you see someone that you think you can help, Go say hi to them, you know, like that's literally why we're all here, right? and I think we often get kind of intimidated by each other, um you know, like, oh, I follow you on Instagram, I couldn't possibly talk to you, you know <laughs> it's just it's just Instagram, and we're all just working in coffee, so um that was that's kind of my last takeaway too is like the, use this opportunity, use this weekend to take what these amazing people have said and kind of let it marinate, let it extract a little um, to draw it back to coffee and just go out there and
6: And then drop it in a cooling tray yeah. and watch it spin around
1: <laughs> let it steep for about 12 to 24 hours no, I'm just kidding. no. <laughs> well thanks everyone so much for, for coming out to this panel and let's hear it for the panelists
0: That was Evermeister, Nick Cho, Lem Butler, Katie Carjulo, Candice Madison, and Monsi Choksi at Expo in 2018. Remember to check our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and visit coffeeexpo.org for tickets to this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA podcast. Thank you for joining us.